Familiar text, but there's, there we are. Familiar text, but uh, there's a lot here. And the title of the message this morning is The Test of Genuine Love. The Test of Genuine Love. So in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 23, verse 23 says, Then he returned, the 70 that he sent out to evangelize had returned, and they had returned with great joy for all that they had seen. And in verse 23, it says, Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. And uh, picking it up at verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now this lawyer is not the kind of lawyer we think of if we want to have a will made out or if we've had a car accident and we need representation or whatever. This is a man who was uh, an expert in the law of God, in the law of God. So he stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? You know, they were always testing him. And uh, that only turned out to God's glory because uh, the answers always just blew them away. And the Lord was certainly always prepared And uh, he knew what they were going to test him about before uh, they even did it. So, um, So he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Interesting uh, that this man just comes out of nowhere virtually and asks this kind of question. Reminds me of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. He came running up to the Lord and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And... um, So verse 26, and he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So Jesus puts it back on him and asks him that question. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27, so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, so he gives him uh, the great commandment in the law. And in verse 28 he says, And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now this man, uh, that's, that is the vital question that he wants to know the answer to. And he wants to justify himself, meaning that his understanding of who, who his neighbor is is probably quite a bit different from what the Lord's understanding, from what the biblical understanding is that we're going to discover today. So he says, and who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus could have just answered him and said, well, it's everybody you encounter. He could have just said that to him. But... That's, uh, if, if he had just answered that way, it would have been rather forgettable to this man. And Jesus, being the masterful teacher that he was, instead gives him a parable 
an incredible story uh, to emblazon upon his mind exactly what the answer to this question ought to be. So in verse 30, it says, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest, a descendant of Aaron, came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now before we continue on, I want to get you back up to verse 30, where, it's, where the Lord says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He could have just said, And a certain man traveled from Jer- Jerusalem to Jericho, but that word down is in there. And, you know, every word that the Lord spoke has, is, is important and has some information for us. And uh, this word down has, has that connotation to it because the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was about 18 miles long. And in that, in that trek to get there from Jerusalem, you descend over 3,000 feet. So I'm, I'm glad this guy was going down because that's the way I would want to be going. I wouldn't want to be coming back up those 3,000 feet. But uh, very mountainous, very rugged terrain. Uh, now this road, uh, as you traverse along, along it back in Bible times, was strewn with large boulders on either side, uh, ideal places for thieves and robbers to hide and to spring out on people. So uh, verse 31 again says, Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, He passed by on the other side. Here he is laying there half dead, severely wounded. He's been stripped of his clothes. And and, and this priest comes down. Now this this would be a a son of of, uh, Aaron. This would be a a descendant of Aaron. You had to be to be a a priest. And he he may have been in his priestly garb and looking all righteous and holy and everything, but he wanted nothing to do with this man. Uh, as he lay there near death. So what should he have done? He just looked and passed by. What should he have done? We got a companion text in James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, that read, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? What good is it? Absolutely no good whatsoever. And we know what he should have done. Okay, verse 32, we have another individual. It says, Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Same response. So again, the question is, what should he have done? And I'd like to bring in another companion verse, 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, which tells us, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. 
we must not love with word or speech. In other words, talk is cheap. Amen? Talk is cheap. But action is, is a whole different story. Now, let's flip back to James chapter 2 just for a moment concerning this word or speech that's mentioned in the first John passage. It says, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, eat well, word or speech. Right? Talk is cheap. And uh, what good does that do anyone? Now, we can do some good with words of encouragement to people if they need to be encouraged. Uh, but even that goes beyond just simple, trite word or speech. All right, so um, for back to First John, if, if anyone has this world's good and sees his brother in need but closes his eyes to a need, how can God love, God's love reside in him? Good question. Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. I don't know how many of you noticed it, but uh, in the Olympics, uh, in the ladies' 5,000-meter race, one of the contestants fell. And immediately, another contestant that was running stopped to assist her. Anybody see that? Uh, Amazing. I mean... This other contestant was vying for a medal and possibly could have have won. I mean, I don't know the background of of how good she she was or compared to some of the other ladies, but uh, she was doing well at that point, and yet she stopped to assist this lady that had fallen. The lady that had fallen is from Massachusetts, and the gal that stopped to assist her is from New Zealand. I mean, you can't get any further apart in this world than Massachusetts to New Zealand. And they were strangers. They had not met yet. Uh, I, got, I, I googled that a little bit and found out about the story. They, they didn't know each other at all. Um, so there was, there was no friendship or anything between them up to that point. And yet this lady from New Zealand stopped and gave up the race to help her up. And she really messed her knee up quite badly. Um, a little more than just word or speech, wasn't it? To, for her to stop and, and to yield that and to, uh, and to help this, this, this gal out. Um, you know, some years ago, uh, Patty and I had an opportunity. We were camped up in the Adirondacks. And um, we left the campground one morning pulled out onto the highway, and we didn't go more than 100 yards. And just out of the corner of my eye, I noticed this, some, something about this big, on, laying on the center stripe of the highway. I didn't think much about it. I couldn't tell what it was. So we went on by, and we got about another 50 or 100 feet past it, and it just started to bother me. I mean, it was just something about it. And it was bothering her, too. And, and so we pulled over. We turned around and went back off on the shoulder on the other side. Got, I got out of the car and went and grabbed it. And as I approached it, I could see it was a wallet. Got it back in the car, opened it up, and began to read the information because our desire was to get it back to its owner. I mean, can you imagine? So we were going through this lady's wallet. It was a lady's wallet. And her Social Security card was in there her license, 
her several credit cards, about $120 in cash. I mean, her life was in there. You know how that is with your, when it's your wallet. So being so close to the entrance to the campground, we figured they, maybe they were camped there. So we turned around and went back and asked the attendant uh, where that person, what site that person was on. And uh, he told us, so we went to the campsite. And as we pulled up to the campsite, here they are feverishly and furiously scouring the whole family all over the campground. And we knew what they were looking for. So we pulled in. And I rolled down the window. I said, did you folks lose something? And they instantly turned, and the, and, one, and the lady said, yeah, I lost my wallet somewhere. And I took it, and I held it out the window. You, you should see, have seen the relief, the relief on those people. I mean, wouldn't you be relieved? And they came over, and oh, I mean, just clutched the wallet, and they thanked us. And we weren't in it for the thanks. I mean, can you imagine what could have happened had that fallen into the wrong hands? And uh, what an opportunity. Uh, and and uh, we, sh we shared with her that the Lord directed our eyes right to that. So we were able to testify of the Lord there. And that's really what you want to do if you have the opportunity in one of these situations. Um, I'm going to tell you in a minute about another situation where I, where I completely failed. And I'll tell you that in just a, in a, in just a couple of minutes. But anyway, this uh, Olympic runner was... Uh, demonstrated God's grace to this, to this uh, other lady from Massachusetts. And in, when I looked it up on Google, uh, she said that God just impressed upon me to, to uh, take care of this and to forget all about the race. So the race was not her God. This situation, and, and she was giving God her best, as Pastor Ken mentioned. And uh, so it sounds to us like she was a believer. Um, you know, concerning uh, the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, um, if it's important to us, we'll find a way. If it's important to us, we'll find a way. If not, we'll find an excuse. And it was, an important, it was important to this lady from New Zealand to take care of this other lady. And... Um, now, the, the, the other incident that I want to tell you about where I completely failed was I was in line at the, at the checkout um, at, at, at Topps Market. And uh, the lady in front of me, I saw that she, she had a debit card just like mine. And I said, oh, I see you do business at the same bank I do. And uh, she seemed a little nervous about her debit card. And I didn't understand why until I came to realize in talking with her that her husband had left her and uh, this was alimony money that, was, that had gone into the account that he was supposed to put in every month. And she was nervous because he didn't always put the, all the money in that he was supposed to put in. So she ran her groceries through and she didn't know how much was on the card. And then she swiped the card and it wasn't enough. So she, she began to push important food items that she needed back to, to the uh, cashier. And uh, now I'd only gone in with three or four dollars because there was only a small item I was going to buy. I didn't have a credit card with me, but you know, I could have taken care of that. And that would have been a tremendous opportunity. And I stood there like a deer in the headlights. You know, we have to, we have to perform uh, as God would expect us to perform. 
And uh, I hope you never make that mistake that I made there. Um, so we have the, the uh, priest that, that uh, uh, stopped by and just looked at him and walked, kept on walking. And we have the Levite also. And uh, this Levite, uh, from the, of course, from the tribe of Levi, and they were attendants and assisted with the temple duties. Uh, they weren't priests. And, uh, but uh, they were of the tribe of Levi. By the way, if you look at your Bible maps in the back of your Bible, uh, where uh, you see the map that shows the, uh, all the tribes and the land, land that they were allotted, you won't see an allotment for the tribe of Levi. You'll see it for all the others, but you won't see it for the tribe of Levi because uh, they were not to busy themselves with farming and, and taking care of themselves. They were to busy themselves with the things of the temple. Uh, and uh, uh, that's, in fact, that's where the t- what instituted the tithe. That's what the tithe was all about, to, to take care of them. Um, so verse, picking it up with verse 33... So the priest and the Levite each failed the test of genuine love. Verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Important word. Very important word. He had compassion. Now this Samaritan, the fellow that was injured and half dead, was probably Jewish coming from Jerusalem. And this Samaritan, uh, for him to do anything, it would have been culturally unthinkable for a Samaritan to help a Jew. They were like oil and water. But he came where he was, he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him, On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Now he went the whole nine yards, didn't he? He did everything that was required to take care of this man. Verse 36 asks the important question, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Thieves. He's asking that question to this lawyer. And the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him. He did well, didn't he? (laughs) Of course, that was the obvious answer. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now the lawyer, instead of testing him and asking him who my neighbor is, probably could have asked a better question. Like, how can I best demonstrate, demonstrate love for my fellow man? That would have been a better question. But um, he had other things in mind, uh, and, and his thinking was not quite uh, what it should be. Now, we see this word compassion concerning this Samaritan. The word compassion is love in action. It's sorrow for the sufferings of another accompanied by an urge to help. If that isn't there, it's not compassion. It may be interest, casual interest, or feeling sorry for someone, but if there's no action, it's not compassion. You cannot have genuine love for someone in need and ignore their situation. You can't do it. 
Um, there's a key principle to the great commandment. It says, firstly, that we're to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. So that's the key to loving your neighbor, because you see, we love others best when we love God most. We love others best when we love God most. Now, if you move ahead with me to Luke chapter 15, I want to take another look at this word compassion. And this is the well-known story of the prodigal son. And you remember, he took his inheritance and left home and squandered it on riotous living. And he wound up with no money and starving. And then he asked the question, what should I do? And picking it up in verse 18, he said, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Love that's going to take action. He had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. See, here we see again, the very best was meted out. But this is his son with the, and, and I, I'd like to believe he would do the same for a stranger, but that's what the Good Samaritan did for a stranger, perfect stranger, the same thing, the very best. Now, love for your neighbor, to broaden this out a little bit, love for your neighbor is not just about help with physical needs. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. And we'll pick it up at verse 24. Acts 18.24 Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, knowing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So all he knew was the, the baptism of John which is old, your old covenant. 
he knew little about the new covenant. Priscilla and Aquila observed this and knew he needed some help if he was going to be more effective. And uh, just imagine how limited our knowledge of the scriptures would be today if our Bibles only went as far as John. It's John the Baptist. It's, it's all Old Covenant. So his preaching in the synagogue was devoid of much of what is taught in the New Testament concerning the life under grace that had replaced the life under the law. So after Aquila and Priscilla had finished discipling him, verse 27 tells us he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So what servants Priscilla and Aquila were in seeing this brother who just did not have enough knowledge and going to, help to, going to his aid and helping him out? So this is a completely different venue, a completely different situation from our man that uh, was uh, accosted on the road uh, down to Jericho that had a physical need. Now if you turn with me to Romans chapter 16, as we finish up here, Paul says in verse 16, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, Romans 16, 1 through 5, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Paul is telling the Roman church to assist this, this lady, Phoebe. And the search in Centuria is only about five miles down the road from the church at Corinth. And from there to Rome, as the crow flies, is 600 miles. Now, she must have gone, there's a lot of water between the two places. She probably was on board a ship for a while. But uh, th th this mission that, that she's on, we, we have no idea what, what it's about. So apparently it's not important. But he, Paul exhorts the Roman church to help her, to assist her. And he says uh, uh, that she has been a helper of many uh, and of myself also. And then notice in verses 3 and 4, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So apparently Priscilla and Aquila were accustomed to assisting people in any way that they could. And you know, we, we need to be servants. We need to be looking out for not just one another as Christians, but for anyone who is struggling in the way, because it can lead to an opportunity to present Christ if that person happens to be an unbeliever. So how are you doing in your responsiveness to people? Are you going to do? Are you are, are you going to adopt the ways of the uh, the Good Samaritan? Uh, are you going to take advantage of opportunities that come along? I'll tell you something. When that lady left, that uh, I encountered at the Tops Market, uh, I was really upset that I had not 
taken the steps necessary. I would have had to go out to the car and get my wallet and get the the uh, the, char- the credit card and so on. And and, uh, and I was really upset that I didn't take the steps necessary to help her out, that she could get the rest of her groceries. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, I'll never do that again. Never do that again. So how are you doing with your responsiveness? To those who need your, interna- to those who need your, your interaction in their lives. Uh, that's the challenge for all of us today. And uh, uh, I hope that uh, uh, this, these examples will impress upon each one of us uh, the need to stop looking out for number one, no matter how busy we are, no matter what the situation is, to take care of someone in need like that. Uh, let's pray.